We're thinking about the fear of letting go and a living sacrifice today. Welcome to another look into the life and message of Elizabeth Elliot, as she called us to live to a higher standard, not satisfied with just a little empty religion in life as a shallow substitute for giving God our best. As our series continues in the coming weeks, we'll hear from family, friends, and others who were influenced by your life and message. It's good to have you with us today. Well, we're beginning a series called A Living Sacrifice, as we'll hear about the comfort of knowing about God's presence and about ways that Jesus was like us and unlike us. We'll be hearing from Andrea and Jim Hawthorne as well, as Andrea talks about a memorable letter that she had from Elizabeth, her aunt, and Jim talks about the forgiveness toward those who had killed the five men in Operation Alka. That coming later. Well, let's begin with part one of A Living Sacrifice. As we think about what God wants to do for you, or do we think about what God wants to do to us? Are we afraid to let go and let God handle it? It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Do not be afraid or dismayed. That promise given thousands of years ago by Moses to Joshua is for you and me today, for all who are willing to follow the Lord. This is your friend, Elizabeth Elliot, talking with you today about a living sacrifice. And that verse that I just read to you, which is from Deuteronomy 31.8, has always been one of my favorite verses all my life. I think my father gave it to me when I first went away to boarding school. I was afraid about a lot of things, leaving a secure home where I had been. And so to know that the Lord goes before me, will, will be with me, will not fail me or forsake me, and there's no need to be afraid or dismayed was, was very comforting to me, and it still is. I often need that kind of comfort, don't you? Now about this business of a living sacrifice. What do you think God wants to do for you? Well, somebody might say to me, I'm worried about what he wants to do to me. You have fears of what the will of God may entail. You're afraid to let go and let God. What might God do to you if you surrender to him? This kind of fear springs straight out of images which are false of God, a false image of this loving Heavenly Father. I want to tell you that I really do not believe that God wants to do anything to you which is not also for you. Anything God has ever done to me has been done for me. Sometimes when I have told some of my missionary experiences, I've had young people come up to me and say, well, you know, I've thought about being a missionary, but it scares me to hear you talk about the things that happened to you on the mission field. What if God did to me what he did to you? And it always kind of makes me smile, and all I can say to that young person is, God never did anything to me that he wasn't doing for me. Now, 
my topic, a living sacrifice. Does that sound scary? Why should I make a living sacrifice? Well, let me define for you what God's will is. John chapter 6, verses 38 to 40. Jesus says, I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. It is his will that I should not lose even one of all that he has given me, but raise them all up on the last day. For it is my Father's will that everyone who looks upon the Son, that's S-O-N, and puts his faith in him shall possess eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Here's Jesus telling us that the only thing that he came down from heaven to do was the will of his Father. He wasn't afraid to surrender himself to the authority of his Father and to say, I have come not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And then he defines what his Father's will is. It is his will that I should not lose even one of all that he has given me, but raise them all up on the last day. It is my Father's will that everyone who looks upon the Son and puts his faith in him shall possess eternal life. There's the will of God defined straight out of the Bible. Everyone who looks upon his Son, Jesus Christ, and puts his faith in him shall possess eternal life. Is that simple? I believe that's simple. And then in John 10, that beautiful chapter about the shepherd and the sheep. In the 10th verse, Jesus said, the, th the thief comes only to steal, to kill, to destroy. I have come that men may have life and may have it in all its fullness. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Just remember that middle part there. I have come that they may have life and may have it in all its fullness. Do you long for fulfillment? Of course you do. We all do. There it is. There is the secret. Life with a capital L, fullness of life, which is found nowhere else but in Jesus Christ. John 3.16 God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. It doesn't say so that whoever can be good enough to deserve heaven will not perish but have everlasting life because that would eliminate every last one of us. It's whoever believes, whoever truly comes in the sense of surrendering to Jesus Christ. God was willing to sacrifice his son for our sakes, that we might have life. Jesus died so that we would not die, so that we would not perish, so that we would not lose our lives spiritually and forever. When we're living for self, we are dying. We really are perishing.
God wants our happiness, our fulfillment, our joy. So he gives himself in order that we may live happily, fully, and joyfully. Those who live only for themselves are not moving in the direction of heaven, but of hell. How can I say that? Well, because in the Lord's Prayer we read, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The rule of heaven, in other words, is thy will be done. If we insist upon saying, I am my own, my body belongs to me, I'm going to do my own thing, I'm going to have what I want when I want it, it's my life, my will be done, then we are not moving in the direction of heaven, but in the opposite direction. I was talking with friends in New York who are old, they are in poor health, and they have nothing to look forward to. It's all murky, a dead end. They had no hope. This life is fast running out, and what's next? Is there anyone listening today who knows that this is your case too? You're old, in poor health, you have nothing to look forward to. It's murky, a dead end, and no hope. Is it scary? I offer you life, everlasting life. I give you Jesus. Will you hear his word? Let me read John 10:10 again. I have come that men may have life and may have it in all its fullness. Will you receive him? Now, receiving him involves offering, giving over, surrendering yourself. It's not something that we add to our lives when we take Jesus. It is a total commitment of our lives to him. We are surrendering. That's my topic this week and next. A study of the Christian's life as an offering and the difference that this makes in how we live. I want to encourage you, and I hope this won't um, scare you off, but I would like to encourage you to think theologically, to think as a Christian, letting God remold your minds from within. We need that to be a constant process in our lives, don't we? Because the world is constantly coming at us, molding our minds in worldly ways. If we're going to let God remold our minds from within, we must be making the effort to think as God thinks, to think theologically. It's our thinking that determines our action. As a man thinketh in his heart, says the Bible, so is he. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. What a man is determines his style, determines the way he does things. Now, our example is always Jesus Christ. In what ways was Jesus like us? Let's think about that for a minute. His name was Emmanuel, one of my favorite names for God, Emmanuel. It means God with us. Isn't that beautiful? God with us. The contexts 
of his life were the contexts in which he showed us what God is like. First of all, a stable, then a humble peasant home, a carpenter shop, a little village called Nazareth, a nowheresville kind of village, dusty roads. He was a man. What kind of a man? Single, tired, hungry sometimes, a man who slept, who needed quiet, who ate bread and fish and drank wine and worked and went to weddings and dinners and synagogues. Can we find in him a pattern for our earthly life? Can we surrender our lives to this one who came to save us from ourselves? That was part one of A Living Sacrifice, The Fear of Letting Go. Later on, we'll continue this series, A Living Sacrifice. But first, let's hear from the niece of Elizabeth Elliot, Andrea Hawthorne, as she talks about a memorable letter that Elizabeth wrote to her one time. Two sentences from a letter that she wrote to me on February 8, 1994. And our first daughter of five was born Um, April of 94. So I would have been pregnant with our daughter, Jessica. My aunt wrote me a beautiful letter as she wrote to thousands of people. Here's a couple phrases. Dearest Andrea, God calls women to no higher or holier task than motherhood. In receiving this great gift, you receive the privilege of cooperating with the Lord of the universe in shaping the destiny of a man or a woman for his glory. Think about that one. It is staggering really, yet so common, so down to earth, so humdrum, so humble, so daily. It is easy to forget that to change a diaper, and then this is the funny part that brings in her humor in parentheses. Yes, Andrea, you know that we pronounce it with three syllables where we come from, not two. It is a diaper. Forgive your picky old aunt. To change a diaper for your baby is to offer your love to Christ. For he said, in as much as you have done it for one of the least of these, my brethren, you have done it for me. An awesome truth and a liberating one. So I reread that even now, and I can hardly contain my emotion of realizing the Truly the legacy that even our kids now carry as we raise them to know the Lord. And so much of that is because of the heritage that Jim and I received from our parents and from our uncles and aunts, for which we're deeply grateful. She closes the letter, I'm thrilled for you, dear girl, and will continue to keep you and Jim and the precious little nameless one in my prayers. With much love, Aunt Betty. So to know that our children were prayed for by Aunt Betty is a really humbling and wonderful gift. Not as many letters seem to be written anymore. That was Andrea Hawthorne talking about a cherished letter from her aunt, Elizabeth. Later on, we'll hear from Jim Hawthorne, the nephew of Jim Elliott, as we talk about the forgiveness the family showed after the death of the five martyrs. First, though, it's part two of A Living Sacrifice. 
You'll notice, by the way, that Elizabeth has a different opening to the programs today. She did vary it from her usual thoughts at the beginning of the program on a few occasions, including today. Well, let's think about how Jesus was unlike us. In what ways was he not like you and me? It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. Do not be afraid or dismayed. That promise given thousands of years ago by Moses to Joshua is for you and me today, for all who are willing to follow the Lord. This is your friend, Elizabeth Elliot, talking with you today about a living sacrifice. Yesterday, we introduced this topic of the principle of self-offering in the life of Jesus. He offered himself an obedient sacrifice for the life of the world. He came into this world leaving his ivory palaces behind for you and me, for our sake, for our salvation. And he asks us to follow him, and he says, if you want to be my disciple, you must give up your right to yourself and take up your cross and follow me. It stands to reason that if we're going to be followers of Jesus, we're going to have to walk the same pathway. We were talking about ways in which Jesus was like us, his humanity. Now, what about how he was unlike us? He did come into the world as a man. He ate and drank and slept and needed quiet and worked and went to weddings. He had limitations and weaknesses and vulnerability. He was criticized, attacked, misquoted, misunderstood, maligned. He was the object of vicious jealousy, hatred, and ultimately put into the hands of men and crucified, the Bible says, in weakness. How was he unlike us? Well, for a start, he was God. He was perfect, spotless, sinless, fearless, peaceful, serene, holy, undefiled, unpredictable. And we could go on and on. You could think of a lot of other ways in which Jesus was unlike us. Well, some of us are unpredictable, aren't we? But uh, we're certainly not sinless and fearless and peaceful and serene and holy and undefiled, not all the time anyway. He also lived to the hilt. It was his father's world, his nature. He had connections with the natural and the supernatural. They were all the same to him as to the psalmist. He was living in his father's world. You know that hymn, This is my father's world, and to the listening ear all nature sings. You have to have ears to hear. And I'm sure that Jesus did not feel himself a stranger in his father's world. How did he see things? Always from the standpoint of the eternal, as his father saw. What kind of work did he do? He did only what he saw the father do, he said. What did he say? He said what the father told him to say. So you and I can start from the assumption that we don't do anything the way the world does if we're Christians. Let me say that again. As a Christian, we can assume that we don't do anything the way the world does. 
Now, there are plenty of exceptions to that, but I think it's a safer way to start than saying, well, we'll do everything that the world does with a few exceptions. Don't you think it would, it's probably a safer way to put it the other way around? Let's just assume that because we're Christians, we're going to have to think differently, act differently, do everything differently. We have to stand on our heads. Christians are people whose lives make no sense except in terms of an invisible world. Jesus made some stunning statements. I mean, these statements must have really jerked people to their senses. He said, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me, or my food is to do the will of him that sent me. He said, lose your life if you want to find it. He said, if you want to be first, be a slave. If you want to be first, be willing to be last. He said, be perfect. He said, love your enemies. He also said, depart from me. I never knew you. He called some people a brood of snakes, others swine. He said, don't cast your pearls before swine. He said, love your enemies. How am I going to know who the swine and the snakes and the enemies are? Well, by the power of discernment. It's not condemnation. It's the right kind of discrimination. But Jesus' tenderness, think of that. Think how tender he was with the little children that he took into his arms and told the disciples not to forbid them to come. Think of his tenderness when he raised Tabitha from the dead. Think of his tenderness with the woman taken in adultery. He said, neither do I condemn thee. Go in peace. There were some statements made about him that describe the differences. Never man spake like this man. And they were startled because they said, isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't this the one we know? We know his brothers and sisters. We know his mother and father. Who is this man? When he was reviled, he reviled not again. When he was oppressed and afflicted, he didn't open his mouth. A letter was given to me when my husband and I were visiting Brooklyn Tabernacle in New York. It was anonymous. This is what it said. In your talks today, I was so encouraged in my effort to lose weight, and I know it will be a long road. Now, in my talk, I had not mentioned weight loss so far as I know. I had just talked about the principle of giving oneself completely to the Lord. And this letter writer says, I have 125 pounds to lose. That's a pretty big chunk, isn't it? But I pray that the Lord will help me to offer this to him one day, one hour at a time. Please pray for me and my husband in this area. Thank you. So let's, let's just stop right now and pray. Lord, I do want to pray for all who are struggling with the need to lose weight. You know the struggle they go through, Lord. You know all the reasons why they eat too much. You know all the reasons why there's too much weight there whether they are physiological or psychological, you understand. And so, Lord, I lift them up to you today 
that you will give them grace, give them strength, give them the will to do your will, and to present their bodies to you as a living sacrifice. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul said in Romans 12, verse 1, that we are to present our bodies as a living sacrifice. If we're going to do this, what do we do with this body? Do we exercise properly, eat properly, sleep properly? Do we take in substances that we know are harmful? If I sing, I surrender all. If I tell God I want to present my body as a living sacrifice, I must also present my will. Now I want to give you four principles of self-offering or sacrifice. The first is offering. The second is acceptance. The third, glory. And the fourth, sharing. And let's talk about those. The first one, offering. And remember that you and I have nothing to offer that we haven't already received. We're giving back to God what God has already given to us. In John 10, 17 and 18, Jesus said, I lay down my life to receive it back again. No one has robbed me of it. I am laying it down of my own free will. I have the right to lay it down, and I have the right to receive it back again. This charge I have received from my Father. And you know, God has given to you and me the right to lay down our lives, the right to give up our rights, and the right to keep them if that's what we want to do. He gave us a free choice. Do you want to be a living sacrifice? In Isaiah 53, we read that Jesus poured out his soul unto death. That is the first aspect of the principle of sacrifice. The second is acceptance. Jesus did always those things that pleased the Father. Hebrews 10, 12 and 13 says, When Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. He was accepting of the will of the Father. And we can hardly offer our bodies back to God until we have accepted the body that God has given us. If we're angry about being male or female, we can decide not to be angry about it and just thank God for that gift. If we wished we were taller, start thanking God for the short body that he gave us. If we wanted to be a different color, remember that we have to accept the terms in which God has placed us here on this earth. I can't make an offering to God until I have received it myself to begin with. That's what I mean by acceptance. God had prepared a body for his son Jesus, and Jesus offered it back as a single sacrifice for you and me. That was part two of A Living Sacrifice. And before we go, let's hear from the nephew of Jim Elliott, also named Jim. You'll see that the name Jim comes up quite a bit in the family. This is Jim Hawthorne as he talks about how the families were able to forgive 
those who had killed their loved ones. There was an understanding from what I've read that the Wadani people at that time really didn't have a concept of forgiveness amongst themselves. Quite a bit of infighting and warring and revenge being more the reality of their story. And if I remember correctly, the numbers that uh, were perpetuating themselves were getting increasingly smaller. And so, so I think the, the men had a very keen understanding of what they were entering into and forgiveness is what they approached it with. That was the message they wanted to convey. And certainly that was how the, the ladies afterwards lived out their response. That, that that was an unshakable reality that they had experienced in their own walk, in their own faith, accepting this, the good news of Christ. And that's what they wanted to extend to the, to the people. That was something they would not waver on for sure. Talking about Operation Alka and the forgiveness that the family showed, that was Jim Hawthorne, nephew of Jim Elliott. Well, let me thank you for letting us come into your home, your office, along with you as you maybe took a walk, wherever we found you today. And on behalf of the Elizabeth Elliott Foundation, in cooperation with the Bible Broadcasting Network, let me invite you to check out all the resources at elizabethelliot.org. That's elizabethelliot.org for more talks, devotionals, videos, and more resources there. elizabethelliot.org And until next time, may God remind you each and every day that you're loved with an everlasting love, and underneath are those everlasting arms. <laughs>